This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. We live in a post-billiards world. There was an age of billiards, and it has been over for so long, most of us have no idea how huge billiards once was. A hundred years ago, there were 830 pool halls in my city of Chicago. Now, if you add up all the gas stations, all the McDonald's, and all the Starbucks in Chicago right now, you'd be nowhere close to that number. You'd be a little under 600, if you want to be exact. And I know you do, you beautiful nerds. Today, Chicago has fewer than 10 pool halls. That is Dan Weissman, reporter, Chicagoan. Dan originally reported the story for a marketplace. So, billiards. Not what it used to be. But this is a post-billiards world in a much more profound sense. Because the growth of billiards led to the development of a material that, for better or worse, came to define the modern world. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. You listening? Plastics. This story starts with a guy named Michael Phelan. Who's regarded by everybody as the, really the father of American billiards. That's Michael Seamus. He's the author of the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Billiards. Phelan was a brilliant player, but he also raised awareness of the sport, promoted it, arranging the biggest big money matches. Phelan was totally remarkable because he was everything. He was an all-around everything guy. He started a huge billiards hall in San Francisco. He patented a new kind of billiard cushion, and then he took the money he had won playing billiards and writing books on billiards and used it to become the first big manufacturer of billiard tables and equipment. Phelan created the age of billiards in the U.S., and he felt that to further popularize the game of billiards... And sell more tickets to matches, and sell more books, and sell more equipment, he would need to standardize the gear. Because if tables and balls weren't the same from one location to another, well, you were basically playing a different game every time you went somewhere new. But standardizing the billiard ball was no easy task. It's a very, very high standard to meet. The billiard ball has to have certain physical properties. It has to rebound properly. It has to be of uniform density. And at the time, there was really only one material that would do. Ivory, which was not cheap. Going to Africa, shooting elephants, that is dangerous and expensive. Not to mention horrible. And people for decades had been trying to find substitutes for ivory. And they tried a variety of materials, including even metal balls, iron balls which really don't perform well. Iron billiard balls just weren't the same. Ivory balls had just the right weight, the most even roll, the best rebound off the cue stick, off each other, off the side of the table. Nothing was as good. And not only that, only the best grade ivory would do. In fact, when you look at records from the ivory trade, the top grade of ivory is actually called billiard ball ivory. And billiard balls required a lot of billiard ball grade ivory. Unlike the ivory on piano keys, which were just a veneer over wood, billiard balls had to be made of 100% solid ivory, and therefore... The average number of billiard balls that could be obtained from a single tusk was three. If you are the best, luckiest billiard ball turner, maybe you could get five balls from one tusk. But even so, that means one set of billiard balls is going to require killing at least two elephants. So billiard balls were very expensive. And when you're trying to build an industry, that's a problem. For Phelan's company, it was the problem. 
The entire trade depended on the sources of this one exotic material. That's Robert Friedel, a professor at the University of Maryland. He studies the history of technology, and he wrote the book on what happens next. Phelan and his colleagues were acutely aware that their dependency on ivory was not ideal. They're really desperate, I don't think it's too strong a word, to find some kind of substitute material. Because there simply wasn't anything. Phelan takes out an ad in the paper, and here's a dramatization of what happened when a guy named John Wesley Hyatt found that ad. Say, John, yeah? look at this. Read it yourself. A prize of $10,000 for the discovery of a satisfactory substitute for ivory in making billiard balls. That's from a 1937 episode of a radio show called Cavalcade of America. Say, that's a lot of money. It certainly is. In terms of wages people earned at the time, it was like $3 million. Hyatt wasn't a chemist, but he was a tinkerer, and he worked for years to win Phelan's prize. By trade, Hyatt was a printer, and printers used nitrated cellulose to protect their hands. It's still sold as liquid bandages. And that material turned out to have very interesting properties, and in particular, it dissolved, and it creates a very syrupy liquid. In the radio dramatization, Hyatt gets his key inspiration when a bottle of the stuff overturns, and he watches it dry into a film that he finds interesting. Why, this bit of film has given me an idea, and the idea might be worth $10,000. Hyatt's idea might have been worth $10,000, but it was also dangerous. Nitrated cellulose is highly, highly flammable. You mean to say you're going to heat that nitrated cotton and compress it? That's right. I'm going out of here. Get as far away as I can before they start using that press. But John Hyatt and his lab assistant, Jim, kept going. They'd heat up the nitrated cotton, put it in the press, and... Ready to open the press, John? Yeah. Throw the lever. John, what is it? Why don't you speak? What's the matter? Look, Jim. In the press. Look at it. Jim, it, it's what we've been trying to find all this time. A material that will take the place of ivory. And the material that would take the place of ivory was plastic. Hyatt called his new material celluloid. But celluloid did not win Phelan's $10,000 prize. Uh, celluloid is a wonderful material. It's a, it's a beautiful plastic. It can be colored in all sorts of ways. It can be shaped beautifully. Uh, it has a, a wonderful range of uses. But billiard ball was not one of them. Balls made of celluloid just didn't bounce right, but Hyatt tried to make a go of it anyway. He does set up a billiard ball company, but his balls are not made of celluloid. They have a thin uh, veneer of celluloid on the outside, but they're mainly plaster on the inside, and they're very inferior billiard balls. Hyatt didn't give up on celluloid. He went into business with his brother, Isaiah. The Hyatts uh, set up a whole series of companies to try to exploit what they are convinced is a very nifty material. But they can't figure out what on earth uh, the market's going to be. They try dental plates. You can color celluloid to look just like real gums, but there's a problem. Turns out that um, celluloid gets soft if you're drinking hot tea. (laughs) Eventually they find the best use for celluloid is imitation ivory, albeit not for billiard balls, but for versions of popular ivory luxury goods. Knife handles, combs, hand mirrors. Even toys and boxes, a gigantic range of things, many of which would never actually have been made in ivory. Also, piano keys. 
A Sears catalog from the 1890s offers pianos with a choice of key coverings, ivory or celluloid. And of course, the most famous use of celluloid would eventually be to make film stock for movies. Meanwhile, billiard balls kept getting made out of ivory. Ivory that came mostly from Africa, which of course the Europeans had been busy colonizing and exploiting. And the ivory trade was pretty awful for the people of Africa. Joseph Conrad wrote Heart of Darkness based largely on his own experience in the Belgian Congo, where ivory was the big product. Conrad called the whole enterprise, quote, the vilest scramble for loot that ever disfigured the history of human conscience. And Conrad didn't necessarily care about this part, but obviously the ivory trade was also terrible for elephants. So what was in fact a pretty common animal uh, in Central Africa in the middle of the 19th century is uh, becoming increasingly scarce by the 20th. By the time of World War I, the ivory supply crunch, the one that Michael Phelan had started worrying about 50 years before, had arrived. And around this time, the real significance of Hyatt's celluloid had begun to show itself. It hadn't worked for billiard balls. However... It began to inspire people to think about what artificial material might be available, what, what people could make, what people could invent. In 1907, a chemist named Leo Bakeland comes up with a new kind of plastic made from petroleum. He names it Bakelite, after himself. And one cool thing about Bakelite, you can melt it, mix in fillers. And it turns out that with that capability, you can vary the density, you can vary the elasticity, and you can make a perfect billiard ball. And so they finally replaced ivory balls with this new plastic, Bakelite. By the 1940s, even top pool tournaments were being played with plastic balls. But by then, pool had passed its peak. It crashed as the Depression began and never regained its former prominence. The age of billiards was over. And this post-billiards age, the age of plastics, had really gotten into gear. For example, the handle of your toothbrush is probably a plastic. So undoubtedly are the barrel of your fountain pen, the instrument panel in your car. And yet these are just a few of more than 25,000 modern uses for plastics. That's plastics, plural. By that time, you've got a bunch on the market. PVC, vinyl, polyethylene, plexiglass, nylon, and in labs, they're discovering the stuff that would end up becoming Teflon and saran wrap. And good old celluloid, the plastic that started it all, had been retired even from the movies. It was indispensable to the beginning of motion pictures, but it was highly dangerous and flammable. Celluloid film caused several disastrous and fatal fires in movie theaters. By 1934, a new form, cellulose acetate, had taken the place of Hyatt's cellulose nitrate for film. Celluloid, born out of billiards, was the first plastic. It ushered in a new age of modern products, but it never succeeded in revolutionizing the game of billiards. It did, however, revolutionize another table sport. Ping pong. Before celluloid was invented, ping pong was played with something more closely resembling a golf ball, which, as you can imagine, just didn't have that perfect bounce. Celluloid ping pong balls were used for years, but finally got bumped from tournament play in 2013. The reason? They were a little too bouncy. Poor celluloid. It just can't win. Someday we'll find the perfect home for you, my bouncy friend. Watch the ball, watch the way I climb around your hall, walking up walls, sideways and I stall, throw the web on you all, back up with a U-Haul, wreck your rep like Eddie on an L.A. strip with RuPaul. Yeah, you got the call.
99% Invisible was produced this week by Dan Weissman with Katie Mingle, Sam Greenspan, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. Special thanks to Dave Bond, who runs the Chicago Billiard Museum, an online museum which has an amazing collection of billiards-related documents, data, and images. We'll have a link on our website. We are a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. We often don't think of winter as a time of growth or creation, but if you think about it, it's the perfect time to create your own website because you're cooped up, you're thinking about being productive, and now Squarespace can help you do it. With Squarespace, you can take your cool ideas, your creative content, your services and goods, and you can turn them into a beautiful website in just a few clicks. This is because their easy-to-use templates are created by world-class designers, and then you have the ability to customize the look and feel and the different settings for your own needs. For example, my site, romanmars.com, I made with Squarespace. The landing page features a close-up of me talking to a microphone, so it has my, you know, my very handsome beard. But if I should ever shave it, I don't have to wait for my web guy to change the photo. I can do it myself, and maybe the next photo will feature my soulful eyes. On one of the pages, I've also picked out some of my favorite episodes of 99% Invisible to share, and the audio is conveniently embedded, even on mobile. Try it yourself. Go to squarespace.com invisible for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code invisible to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. We're all on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Spotify. And you can see that Johnny Appleseed of Billiards, Michael Phelan's extremely unsettling neck beard at 99pi.org. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, you. Plastics. Exactly how do you mean? There's a great future in plastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. That's a deal. Radiotopia. 